All right, welcome back to Building a Fighter. My name is Dr. Austin Shane, sports chiropractor in Scottsdale, Arizona. With me, as always, badass strength coach in Denver, Colorado, Alex Friedman. Today, we're going to be spitballing a little bit. It's going to be more of a freestyle, but we're going to be talking about what should the ideal week of training look like for a combat sports athlete, <laughs> and specifically an MMA athlete. So, Alex, what are we starting with? Uh, do less than you're currently doing. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> uh, that's typically my my biggest response. Is, and I know combat sports has a culture of training a lot, and there's nothing wrong with grinding and training really hard. It's just when we surpass our physical um, outputs, then the training becomes worth less each and every time that we do it. Yep. Right. So when we're super tired and we go into a session and we can only give 30% of our max effort for that session, it's like, would you have been better served to rest and recover and then come to the next session with 80% maybe. Right. right? So I think having an understanding of the recovery and like grind mentalities, like both are kind of polar opposite ends of the spectrum, but both are very heavily saturated. So I think if we can, um, find a middle ground between that, then we can find more of a balance and get more effective training. Well, I think that's a good point because our sparring <clears throat> sessions, our number one sparring session is never going to be our first session of the week. Yeah. So if you just keep grinding your body into the ground, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and then either Friday or Saturday is your big sparring session. Guess the fuck what you're walking into sparring at like 75 to 80% if that, yeah. so you're not even getting the most out of the number one session of your week. So that's why structuring your week of training is so important. That's why trying not to overtrain is so important. It's because you need to be able to peak for the sessions you need to peak for. That's so that's what's important. That's what's going to transition you into your fight. And that's, what's going to give you success moving forward. Right. And so what would you say, Austin, somebody that, that gives you a quote, there's no such thing as overtraining. Maybe there's under recovering, but there's no such thing as overtraining. I always just laugh at them. <laughs> I know that's not productive and that's not the right response, but I just laugh at them. Um, and what, what I sell, tell them is, well, there's clear science and evidence to show that overtraining is a thing. Um, overtraining is a spectrum. Yeah. It's not just it's on or it's off. And I think, yeah, I think that's where, I don't know, not as an industry or as a as a topic overstraining is gain some heat because when overtraining came on the scene, it came on super hot. Like this is a, like a pandemic and like, right. If you had overtrained you, Oh my God, then you can't perform ever again. But it's like, uh, you have to understand, like you can be like 10, 20% overtrained and you're still going to have pretty high outputs. Like you're mm -hmm. still going to be okay. You know, it's like, we're just not optimizing our performance paradigm, which, you know, is less than ideal in some cases, but other cases, like we need to dig a hole. We need to overtrain. It's called mm -hmm. overreaching. Right. So, For sure. Well, um, and dude, I've yeah. seen, <laughs> I've seen the people that tell me that there's no such thing as overtraining. I've seen three guys get rhabdo literally just from training. <laughs> like it, it, rab rhabdo, that's a major thing. Like pissing brown, pissing blood. Like that's a major thing. Mm -hmm. And that is overtraining. That's the far end of the spectrum. Right. The near end of the spectrum is you feel fatigued for two weeks. You've, you have a, yeah. exactly. You have a shitty part of your week. You have a shitty part of your camp. That's going to lead to suboptimal performance. You it's pick gonna, up a sickness. That's exactly. Another big one. You get hurt. You get minor injuries. All yeah. of these different things are typically the product of being on the overtraining spectrum. Exactly what Alex says. We need to overreach. Overreaching and supercompensation is a <clears throat> is a massive thing that uh, that helps us in our training camps. 
But guess what? If we push that too far, if we don't program in recovery time or give us windows of recoverability, I think is what the PI says, then we're leading our athletes towards failure, not success. And under the guise of it being a successful habit. Absolutely. And and one differentiation or one uh, subtle distinction I want to make is the difference between overtraining and working too hard for the capacity and then having just an insanely high capacity from the onset. Right. Like I have athletes that are in really good shape and train all the time. They have a super high capacity and maybe they're not training what's optimal to them, but they can do a lot of training and still feel relatively good from it. Right. Mm -hmm. They can do two a days every day because they've built up that tolerance to training. Right. And it's like that that may be a good thing in itself because it it enables them to live that type of lifestyle or train that type of uh, training schedule. Then there's the other side of athletes that don't stay as in good shape and they're out of camp and then they come into camp and then they blast themselves with the two days and they don't have the high enough work capacity. And the, I guess all I'm trying to say is the work is relative to how good a shape that you're in, right? Because your individual capacity level is going to be different than your teammates capacity level, different than the next guy over's capacity level. And it's the difference of what you're actually doing in training versus what your capacity level is and how much training you can handle that creates the overtraining stimulus. It's not exclusively the sessions you write down on paper. It's how good a shape you're in, how much training can you handle? And then how much training are you actually doing? And can you recover from that? So I think, I think that's worth mentioning that a lot of this is very individualized based on, um, just the, the workload that you've had in your previous, um, months or the workload that you've put yourself through in your previous camps and training life. hundred percent. It's, it's a very individualized system. And that's why I typically advocate for individualized performance training or, sure. indi- or individualized scheduling. And so getting onto the scheduling aspect, sure. how many, how many days a week would you prefer your athletes to be training five or six? Cause I feel like that those are the options, right? Um, I don't, I honestly don't have a problem with either. I think five or six are both really good options. Um, as long as we grade the intensities, which is way harder done than, or way hard. Yeah. Way harder done than I am saying it right now. Right. Like, well, it's, it's harder to do on the five day system than the six day system yeah. without a doubt. Because again, I always have my athletes, they're wanting to get after it. They want to train more and more and do more. And so doing more over, or excuse me, doing less over six days actually feels like you're doing more than if you do more in five days, if that makes sense. So Mm -hmm. like if we have six days, we can have two of those days that are green days and you do maybe a 30 or 40 minute, 30 to 45 minute, like really low intensity session. That Mm -hmm. can be a technical session. That can be, uh, like your road time or your, um, road work. Exactly. Road work, running, riding the bike, stuff like that. And keeping it super low intensity, but it still feels like you went to work six days of the week. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, for sure. From like a mental side of things. Sure. Yeah. Cause I, I think that's, we'll branch into that later, but I think the the mental piece is almost exclusively the reason that we have this overtraining in the sport that we do. A hundred percent. It's based in insecurities, but okay. So keep it on the scheduling piece of things. Yeah. So, so well, if no, we're, I want to say, oh, I, I would prefer 
my athletes to be on a six day schedule. <clears throat> it makes everything easier from a physiologic standpoint. We can zone build in those zones of recovery as long the where it gets dicey is when people have families because family time is extremely important for the mental yeah. side of things. Um, but at the end of the day, what I what I say to my athletes is, look, are you trying to be professional? Yes. I don't know any other professional sport that doesn't train six days a week. I don't. <laughs> I don't know one and right. just just because we're in combat sports doesn't necessarily give you the right to change your schedule to a four or a five day just because you want to have a little like you want to have those days fully off. If you want to be the best, you need to be able to plan out the schedule the most optimal way possible. And the most optimal way possible is a schedule that allows you to have zones of recoverability built in. And typically to me, that's a lot easier to do. And you're set up for a lot or for a greater, um, a greater successful moment if you go on a six day schedule. Yeah. And I think something to note there too, is if we, we agree on the six day schedule and we, we, uh, commit to that, that doesn't mean there can't be, you know, a month here, a month there where we go down to a four or five day or we kind of periodize it and and adjust based on your life cycle, right? Like, like if you've fought late November and then you want to take December as kind of a recovery month and there's Christmas and this and that and X, Y, and Z. And it's like, okay, let's go to a four day schedule for December. But once we hit January, we're back on, right? Like, or, you know, maybe that happens in the middle of summer for some guys with their fight schedule, but it's just things can be flexible. And I think that that's more of the approach I take is we can be flexible and work with what works with you. But once we agree to something like, let's be consistent about it, yeah. right? There's, there's flexibility and then there's just randomization, right? right. There's right. flexibility and then there's just blowing sessions off. Right. Then, and, and <laughs> nobody operates best blowing sessions off. Like, yes. Yeah. It's all about consistency, but all right. So we have five or six days schedule. What do you want to start with or how many sessions a day do you, sure. do you prefer? Let's go sessions a day and then let's go categories of sessions. I guess yeah. that's kind of how I cool with, organize cool it in my head. Um, I'm cool with two days, two a days. Um, if we're doing a six day schedule, I would hope we only did two a days, three out of those six <laughs> days. Um, I probably wouldn't do more than three, two a days in our six day schedule. Um, and I would want you know, two to three strength and conditioning sessions, five to six MMA technical sessions. Um, and the, of those five to six MMA technical sessions, like we can range from all the way from a 45 minute mitts session to a two hour grinding jujitsu practice, right? Like mm-hmm. it just depends where we plant those, but two, three strength and conditioning, um, five to six technical tactical. Yeah, no. And I, and I love it. And I think the, major part of that is trying to a keep high intensity sessions away from sparring <laughs> um, because so many people overload the sparring day and that actually just is going to put you at a deeper deficit for you to have to recover from. And if I know anything about combat sports athletes is they don't recover well enough. So that's yeah. just seems like you're setting your athlete up for failure when you do that. Um, and then the other thing is trying to vary it. Say like on a Monday, we have a grappling session in the morning. Then at night, I'm either going to do a, like a lower intensity, like fast twitch movement or a, re- a restorative based movement. Cause grappling is so physiologically <laughs> dense right? So, and also neurologically heavy as well. 
versus like if if they're doing just a striking practice, not that striking is easier, but striking is less intense than grappling right. your body. Then I know that I can push them in the weight room if we're pairing those up on the same day. Right. And once again, it's, it's very context dependent and, um, individualized to your athlete because if you have somebody that's never struck before and they're trying to learn kickboxing and maybe there's a couple of like flow sparring rounds right that's not really flow sparring for somebody that doesn't right. know how to strike <sighs> right you know they're like, hulking so, up exactly so knowing your audience is huge in this one to gauge and weight your sessions like that's what we're essentially talking about is weighting and ranking the intensity of our sessions that intensely changes based on people's experience level like i know wrestling is one of the most energy demanding aspects of our sport, right? Mm -hmm. You and I can cruise through wrestling practice if right. we wanted to, right? Yeah. We could hide all day, you know? I, know. So, I, I just wrestled for an hour and a half and I, I, I thought I was going to be fucking wrecked. And then I woke up the next day. I'm like, Oh, this isn't that bad. Yeah, I know. Right. <laughs> I, I constantly, uh, so I've been wrestling with high schoolers mostly and I've been like, trying to get to their level where they can still have some opportunities. Right. And like, mm -hmm. and, and play their game and actually let them be better versus just sit on them. Yeah. Um, so whenever I get tired, I just start mauling guys and I just sit on top. Right. So, um, yeah. you can gauge your effort and I, I would imagine, right. We're not there. I'm not there, but I would imagine it's the same thing with striking. If, you, right. if you're feeling off and you're, you're vastly superior in a striking setting, you can dance around, you can avoid the contact. You can really pick your shots versus really getting into it. So um, that's where waiting and ranking the intensities of your sessions becomes very individualized. And there's a couple different ways that we do that, Austin, right? We do that with RPE. We do that through a heart rate. We do that through some of our wearables. Mm -hmm. We talk a little bit on our like piggy bank system or how we gauge the intensity of each session. Yeah, for sure. So we, we have at building a fighter, what we call a piggy bank system. This was that workload talk that we, we have been doing. It's still open if people want to take the workload talk, but it has slowed down. So I might just shut it down soon, but we have a system where you're going to rank every session on a scale of zero to 10, really one to 10. If you have a zero, you didn't do shit. Right. And, <laughs> and you're sleeping. Yeah, exactly. Um, and that's based off of what your perceived exertion of the exercises were or of the session was. So if you think that was a really hard session, maybe it's an eight to a 10. If you thought that was like a medium session, then it's like a five to a seven. And then underneath a five is more restorative, relaxing, um, your low intensity runs or low intensity drills, what have you. What we would recommend is that you don't have two red days, which is an eight to a 10 on the same or two red practices on the same day, that would be a very high uh, intensity. And that's going to put you at a deficit. What we do recommend is that after your red day that you don't just jump into another red day, uh, you try to do a green day, which is going to be our zero to our fives. And that's going to be over the course of two sessions. And then after that, we, we like to do like what's what we call a stair step approach where it's almost like uh, you remember the AT&T raising the bars. Where it goes, yep. it's small graph, medium graph, high graph, small graph, medium graph, high graph. And that's why I like that six day system because it pairs into our building a fighter system better. Um, some of the rules for our piggy bank system is going to be, we don't ever want more than a, really it's like an 11 to 12 the day after sparring. So two sessions combined, we don't want more than an 11 or a 12, which means an average of five to six per session. We don't ever want to go above 17. 
<laughs> and we want the entire days. And that's, a, that's, I've adjusted that because of our combat athletes that I see where they're like, Oh, I got to push. And I'm like, all right, I'll give you a little leeway. It used to be 15. I've bumped it to 17 because I've given leeway and people haven't gotten hurt. And say so you're too nice. I always try and limit people. Yeah. Um, and then the other it thing sounds is like the worst thing to say for a performance coach. I was trying to limit people. <laughs> but, anyway. and then the last thing, the last rule is that at the end of the week, we don't want you at more than a fifth, like more than a 56 to a 60 RPEs in total. Right. Yeah. And sorry, um, I was preparing our next topic. Um, you did go over like an RPE and how we determine an RPE. Yep. Just perceived exertion talking about, um, sure. Hey, how intense do you think that session was? And then you could also pair that with your wearables. If you see, yeah. if you think that was a eight out of 10, but you stayed in the blue zone the whole practice, then something's wrong. Right. Yeah. And that perceived exertion can get skewed for a couple different reasons. First off is, is being like sick or under the weather. Right. right. Second off is you're straight up not good at it. Right. That was a, that was a point of contention that I need, I need to circle back with Rich Ulm in our last podcast that, uh, he, he refuted me pretty hard on. And I was talking about being auto-regulated and giving your practice score an RPE. I, Mm -hmm. I said that was a skill and he said, absolutely. No, it's not. And so I need to circle back and have a conversation with him because I do believe that it's a skill to be able to auto-regulate your own schedule Mm -hmm. and, and genuinely understand the intensities that you're working at. Well, it's something you can 100% get better at for sure to me is a skill. Yeah. hundred percent. And a lot of athletes are bad at it was, is, yeah. is kind of my biggest observation is like, you know, unless I sweat through my t-shirt and am breathing hard at the end of the workout, it wasn't a hard workout. And, you know, that's not necessarily true all the time. Like we talk about getting into your lactate system or mm-hmm. using your CNS to stimulate some power and strength. Like, Maybe the CNS stuff doesn't seem that hard, but it's working on a really fine skill and you're going to be fatigued tomorrow yep. from it. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, so understanding some of that stuff, I think is, is a huge skill and giving your practice an honest review and honest RPE is something to keep working on. And, 100%. and knowing the context is huge for that. Like knowing, should I be, you know, digging a hole? Should I be red? Should I be, uh, taking this easy at a green? I think those are all, you know, part of the job as an athlete. Um, but where I wanted to go from this, after we talk about schedule, we talk about RPE. I have a little grid here that I, uh, wrote out for our six day training schedule. If we could map out all of our sessions and give them, you know, perceived exertions and create a, just a, a generalized game plan for mm-hmm. everybody, Austin, as we go Monday to Saturday, how would we do that? I mean, I know we ha- both have our own ideas, but Let's uh for sure. Let's do it live. Um, I I would like to start Monday as like that first bar, so it's not extremely intense. Um, okay. so I would like to start the day with like a striking workout. Um, and then for the second session of the day, typically I'd add in strength and conditioning, and then from that, that would obviously it'd be dependent upon the athlete. But if I had my way where it would fit perfectly into the system. Um, I would like that to be like a six or a seven out of 10 on that RPE scale for Both the of them. No, or? for the strength and conditioning session for striking, it would be more of a technical practice. So it'd be five, maybe. Yeah. That's what I gave it five to six. Um, yeah, yeah no, I think that's great. I think Tuesday is kind of traditionally a go hard day, right? I know some yep. uh, gyms have like 
uh, additional sparring days on Tuesdays. But for us, that's kind of our wrestling day. So mm-hmm. I would give that one a little harder of a grade. So I would go to like a wrestling grappling uh, s- session. And that's going to typically go up to more like a seven or an eight yep. uh, out of 10 on the RPE. Would you put a second workout on that day? I would, but I would make it very low intensity. So I would, I would put them at a, like a three or a four restorative run and or bike just to try to get the blood pumping before they hit sparring, which would be the next day. How long, how much do you like the term active recovery for that workout? Yeah, that's fine. Active recovery is good. Yeah. I, when I think active recovery, I don't want that above a three out of 10 on an RPE scale then. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I think for our sport specifically in MMA, I think the runs and the bike and the the low intensity steady state is irreplaceable for sure. But I do value a lot more movement skills to be done yeah. in that session, right? Whether we're doing, you know, animal flow, yoga, um, body weight, calisthenia exercise. I, I'm all about that because I think the more you can be in tune with your body and practice more correct movements, you're going to just feel that much better because wrestling, striking, MMA is not a continuous repetitive skill mm-hmm. is very variable so all right so coming off one of our harder days on tuesday what's your typical wednesday approach jump it up to sparring so sparring i'd like that midday if if i had an ideal world that would be around noon um so we give them the morning to do their morning routine get some food in them hop in there spar at noon and that's going to be a technical sparring but with that technical sparring that's still going to be about at nine out of ten an eight or a nine out of ten but this is where you focus on your game plan over just winning. And that's your only workout of the day, correct? Yeah. I mean, if, if they feel the need to go do yoga or (laughs) something later, like very, like again, like a three out of 10, they can, but I would prefer them to have nothing else that day. Yeah. Do recovery. Uh, go, yeah, go, go do cryo. Yeah. Right. Like sit in a a cold tub. I don't give a shit. Yeah. That's actually, I, what I would say is that's a therapy day. That's the day you would go into somebody like me and get worked on. Yep. And it'll feel good after you're beat up from sparring. Okay. Um, Thursday for me is always kind of a light day. Yep. Um, we kind of recap the rest of the week. We work on putting all the skills together. Um, and that's, uh, to me, a good day to throw in your second SNC session. Mm-hmm. Okay. So skill training. And that's a little bit more like a four or five. Like we can do all their technical stuff. We can hit miss. We can do all this, but there's very little live sessions, right? Cause we're trying to recover from the sparring. Yep. Um, and you like doing a second SNC on that day. I'm here for that. Yeah. So, and, but we do have to find a way to get in some higher intensity SNC. Sure. Um, at some point. So this would be a day where, so typically like on a Thursday then, or in, in our fight ready schedule would be Wednesday. I would have my athletes do a, um, like a restorative strength and conditioning session. So it's more movement quality. It's more focused. It's more like, um, sling based movements where it's going to be about a five. And then I would pair that up the next day where that would be our higher intensity on your Friday, huh? Yeah. Cause I think, I think it's extremely important to get three in I think that at least from my experience, that's what's worked best with my athletes is getting three sessions in. And if we're in a six day a week schedule, then it's either going to have to be a Monday, Tuesday in a row or a Thursday, Friday in a row. So that, that higher intensity session, 
in reality, I'd, I would probably put it on the Tuesday, not the Friday, just because right. then Saturday is going to be our 10 out of 10 spar. But it fits in either way, and I don't think it's going to put them at too much of a deficit wherever you put it. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, yeah, so there's a little difference in our schedule that we, we typically go off. One, we don't spar twice a week. So our Wednesday technical sparring is kind of replaced by hard jujitsu sessions, gotcha. which you know is more or less – more or less more fatiguing yeah it's just Um, sparring without punching for sure so (laughs) that makes it really hard um and then we do a five-day schedule too saturday is an open mat right and most guys do come in on saturday and get really light work done um but friday would be our next sparring session but yeah i agree in this model if we're gonna spar on wednesday we definitely shouldn't be sparring on friday so um, let's summarize it here just cause I'm kind of conceptually looking at it. Like Monday would be your medium day. Uh, Tuesday would, or Monday would be your light Monday's day. Actually, a light probably. day. Yeah. yeah. Tuesday's, Tuesday's a medium, a medium day. day. Wednesday's your high day. Then we go back down to Thursday being a light day. Friday. Now we're at a moderate day. So mm-hmm. as far as your skill training, um, I would kind of put it all together too, but do you have any specific emphasis? Maybe like BJJ would be a good time to get yep, that BJJ or, or wrestling uh, technique because those tech, no matter what BJJ or wrestling technique is going to be a little bit more intensive on the body. Cause you have to stay in that bent position and cage wrestling. I like doing a lot of yep. that stuff. Like it's the mm-hmm. seven, eight out of RPE. And then you throw your high intensity strength on this day. Yeah. I, w- I would throw it in at like a seven out of 10 right there. Seven or eight <laughs> out of 10. Yeah, but that would just be a just a strength session, no conditioning, right? Yeah, you don't want any more metabolic fatigue than is necessary because we're going into sparring on Saturday, which is your most important day of the week. Bingo, and that's going to be a ten out of ten. And then same thing applies. That would be the day that you would then go get therapy as well. And then Sunday would be your off day. But typically on people's off days, I recommend that they do something for twenty to thirty minutes. Don't just sit on the couch all day, get up, yeah. walk your dog, go, go on a hike with your family, whatever it may be, but do it like at like a one out of 10 RPE, just get the blood moving. Yeah. Yeah. I like that a lot. Um, one change that I can potentially see, um, if you're on a, a schedule like our factory X schedule, um, I could switch the Thursday and Friday. Um, Mm -hmm. so after you get done with your grappling sparring on Wednesday, which is your high day, we come back to a moderate day. Um, and we can do our moderate S and C on that day too, because we get, we're going to give a little more extra recovery for the next day of sparring Mm -hmm. rather than, um, so it would be high technical sparring on Wednesday, moderate on Thursday, low on Friday, back to our high on Saturday. And that can possibly save you a little bit more for Saturday. Yeah. That works for me too. So there's obviously, like I said, some play in this schedule too. And um, one change that I really like that uh, Factor X has made is that we put our skill training and our technical practice in the middle of the day. Um, So that's 10 to noon for us Mm -hmm. religiously. I think that does a lot of things um, mentally, logistically. It ensures that MMA is your focus of the day, right? If you're at MMA practice, from 10 to noon, there's no, I got a job. There's no, you know, for lack of a better term, uh, putting MMA second, 
right? So that defines that MMA as a priority in your day, first off. But from a recovery standpoint too, it's not super in the, early in the morning. It's not super late at night. It's not something that you're having to add on or account for or sacrifice your recovery for. So right. I, I like a lot of that. No, I agree. I think that's <laughs> that's one of those things, the underrated things of scheduling where I know a lot of teams around the country have practice at like three. I, we're the same. We have 10 to 12 except every day except for Friday, which is sparring. That's 12 to noon. But um, a lot of teams around the country, they have like a 3 p.m. practice. And I'm like, well, what about what? <laughs> like, what about the guys that have jobs? Like, not everybody can just work the morning shift. Right. And I mean, you know, for lack of a better term, maybe it's a good thing that it prevents them from being having a job, right? Like, I know we want to enable people and we want to have the best output, but at some point you have to prioritize. Yep. <laughs> cool. Did you want to go through a five-day schedule or change that up for that a little bit? I think we did a good job covering it. On no, our... I think it's good. Cool. All right. Um, lastly, I kind of want to talk about the mental side because we alluded to it of as far as mentality being a very key reason that we overtrain in the sport of mixed martial arts. Mm -hmm. And I think there is a lot of ground to cover. And I think MMA is a workmanlike sport. The more you put in, the more skills you're going to acquire, the better you're going to get. I think that's more true in MMA than a lot of other sports, right? Like yeah. there's a, a limited returns in a sport like football or in a sport like ice hockey, right? Like mm -hmm. sometimes the more you work, you just may not have the skill MMA, the more work you put in, the better you'll get for sure. And so we always look at the top guys and say, I'm not as good as him. I just need to work more. I need to work harder. I need to go. I need to go. I need to go. I need to go. And that's a great mentality to have in your first five, six, seven years <laughs> of MMA, yeah. right? While you're building your technique, while you're building your, your base of sports skill. The problem is we keep that mentality even when we get a number by our name in the UFC. Mm -hmm. Even when we get to the top, we still look at, oh man, I'm just not as good as these guys. I need to keep working, keep working. And right, that that little fear is necessary. The small bit of insecurity is necessary, but they, we also have, an, have to have an awareness of where we're at in our skill level, have an awareness of where we're at in our training cycle, in our training life which I feel like is very hit or miss for coaches and athletes, because I think a lot of this overtraining comes from insecurity as far as if I don't work this hard, if I can't grind it out constantly and I don't have this in the back of my head that I'm outworking my opponent, then I can't win. Mm -hmm. No, which, mo most of it is that. Again, in moderation can be really healthy and lead to a lot of success. But then when that takes over, that's when we get into some trouble. Well, the problem is, that's exactly what you said earlier. That's how people typically get that number next to their name in, in this sport in general, right? Yeah. It's that yeah. they have a really, really high work ethic. And because of that high quality work ethic, they're able to push harder. They're able to get through all the pitfalls that life might have. And they realize that there's one goal and that is to become a UFC champion or a Bellator right. champion, whatever it may be. Right. Um, what they don't understand is that's a great way to get good. That's not a great way to get great. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> and, yeah, yeah. and I say it a lot is that you got to learn how to be tough before you learn how to be a champion. 
So you have to find those pitfalls. You have to, you might have to overtrain a little bit. Like I'm not advocating for overtraining, but you have to find where your threshold is before you can then back off of it. But the problem is when people don't back off of it and a lot of the reasoning from what I've seen is that there's not a lot of communication between the coaching staff and the athlete in understanding that it's okay to train at 70% of what you used to now that you have the skills that you have, right? Once you have, it's MMA is such a multifactorial sport that a lot of it is skill acquisition. And that skill acquisition takes a lot of time and it takes a lot of effort and it takes a lot of training. But once you get to the point where you've found, you've found your skill set, you've dialed that in, you un- you understand what you do well, what you do poorly, and how you can get through a camp in a successful manner, that's when you need to dial in the intensity with which you work. And typically yeah. that pairs up with when you get into the UFC, if not after your first contract. For sure. And I think... Uh... I think this happens naturally anyway. Once you get to a higher skill level and once you start to realize some success, first off, finances become a little bit less of a burden, right? Mm -hmm. Your skill becomes a lot more efficient. So even though you're doing maybe the same amount of hours, the same amount of time, you're not working as hard. Yep. So I think we need to embrace that and lean into it a little more and say, all right, now that I'm here, I'm not going to let off the gas and and go easier, quote unquote, but I'm going to accurately assess my needs and value of my time. And then we can work a lot more efficiently. And that's where we always say it on here, work smarter, not harder. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's just a a correct awareness of where you're at in your life and in your scheduling. So lean into that positive feedback loop when shit keeps going right, keeps going right, keeps going right make adjustments and find a new norm. That's a higher performing norm. Yep. Yeah. A lot of it, a lot of it, like you said, is rooted in insecurity. Yeah. There's no one way to fix insecurity in an athlete, right? We can do our best. Right. Like I wish there was one thing we can do our best as coaches to try to push them on the path uh, with which they need to go where we think that, Hey, we give them positive reinforcement on, when they do a recovery run, when we do the things that's going to take away from that high workload. But at the end of the day, it's going to be the athlete that has to make the change. And if it doesn't just come from you that continually winning, I don't know what it's going to come from. Alex, do you have any, do you have any, I guess, tips? Yeah. I mean, we can do a lot of the confidence building, um, sports psychology and like, mentoring of our athletes a lot of that is based in confidence and realizing past accomplishments i feel like so much of coaching especially on the the youth side or the come up is geared on work ethic and we try and condition our athletes to always think they need to do more which has good and bad traits right but once we've started to accomplish some things it's like realize those accomplishments. Don't just bypass over them as like a fluke or something I got lucky doing or this or that. It's look at those and have some pride on them and understand that that's what we did all the work for, but now we can change based on that, right? It doesn't have to stay this way. So realizing past accomplishments, um, verbalizing and praising our athletes, I think is huge. Like a lot of coaches are going to give praise right after the fight, maybe the week after the fight. Right. But then once we're back in camp, it's back to negative, 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 negative reinforcement. Right. So it's like 
continue on that positive track. And that doesn't mean you can't be real. You can't be a hard ass. You can't be hard because this sport demands a lot of toughness and a lot of hard mindsets. You can't just go gaslight your athletes. Right. But there can be positive uh, reinforcement and a realistic awareness of where we're at now. So um, I guess those are my two that I go is like a self-awareness thing of realizing and accepting accomplishments and then positive reinforcement and accurate self-awareness. Yeah. I like it. (laughs) Which, you know, are really pretty words, but very hard to do. Yeah. Very, very hard to do in person. For sure. (laughs) But no, I think that's, uh, we expanded a lot more on a ideal training week than I think we meant to, but it's good. It's okay. All right, y'all. So you got to get in touch with us. All of our information is in the show notes. That's going to be Instagram handles as well as emails. If you need any strength conditioning programming and or a low back course, that's going to be available at buildingafighter.com. And then this is Dr. Austin Shane. Alex Friedman. And we are out.